and uh, with a paddle on they, they're, they're hyper extending at the back um, and that's where they pick up their problems. First get them to rotate, uh, get their rotation right before you start adding paddles in and then yes start with the smaller paddle um, and as they progress and, and maybe if, um, a rule of thumb is if they drop under 155 then you can put them into a, big, a bigger paddle and if they drop under 125 per 100 meters over a thousand then they can put them into the bigger of the, of the two sizes um, because then you know that their rotation is right because their drag is lower and, and then strength becomes more of a, a deciding factor so it's first the form then the fitness and then the strength as, as a last resort. Hi, welcome to the High Performance Athlete Podcast, the show designed to help you compete at your highest potential. My name is Mike Roscoe, the owner of SBR Sport. Over the years, I've worked with both runners and triathletes, from Comrades Gold medalists to podium level triathletes. I'm looking forward to having you on this journey with me, where we're going to speak to a lineup of experts doctors, sports psychologists, professional athletes, and other thought leaders who will give you the tools and mindset needed to perform on a whole new level. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast to catch all new episodes and share it with your friends and training partners. Right, so welcome to the High Performance Athlete Podcast. I've got Seamus Kruger with me. I've known Seamus for a number of years. Uh, Seamus is at uh, works for um, Orca and the Fluid Lines Group. So the uh, store is on Ravonia Road. Yeah, uh, corner of North and Ravonia Road. Cool, and and they've got some really really cool stuff. And so what we thought we would do this morning is aim this at triathletes uh, more so than anyone, and really kind of take you through the equipment that you need. Rule 101 of triathlon is if you want to get into it, you need uh, quite deep pockets. It, um, it's definitely uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of equipment to buy from the start. I mean, you can start with the bare essentials, but uh, it, it, you know, if you want to progress further and further, you need to have, there's quite a lot that you could have. A yes. lot of it might be a little unnecessary. Uh, what we do see is a lot of the new athletes buying all the gear and not even understanding what they're doing with it. So. All the gear and idea. Yeah. It's, yeah. Fu- it's fun. It's fun. So I think the beginning phase is you've really got to kind of budget through and, and we'll take people through that. And then as you say, as you progress, once you've got the initial setup, you can, you can kind of do anything from a sprint triathlon to a full Ironman. And then as you get along, you can progress. Sure, yeah, you can buy some more speed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, and the slower you get, the more speed you have to buy. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Let, let's kind of start with, with, with swim. Um, uh, order of triathlon, swim, bike, run. Uh, swim, wetsuit. I think most of the triathlons are going to allow you to wear a wetsuit. Certainly the ocean uh, triathlons, you're going to be kind of expected to wear a wetsuit what, what is one looking at when one buys a wetsuit um i think um you, temperature dependent you will be able to wear a wetsuit or have the option to not wear one so sh- yeah. should you want one sure no problem we can help you out there um if you don't uh, you don't necessarily need one uh, unless you're in the western cape because that's just cold all the time yes um what you should be looking at first you've got to consider 
um, the type of swimmer that you are or, or the level of swimmer that you are. Yes. Uh, a beginner swimmers all tend to have the same issues. Uh, they tend to drag their legs, kick out of their knees, swim very flat in the shoulders. And you want to, um, swimming is pretty simple. It's, it's not about overcoming drag. It's about offering less resistance to the water. Yes. And the suits that, that we do and some of the other brands do um, to cater for that will be something that's really stiff across the core and the hips and very buoyant in the legs, both front and back. And that'll yes. lift your body, your body position to flat. So if you if you go to the if you go to the pool and you've coming, you're a new triathlete and you go to the pool and you're you're going to swim a thousand meters, and there's a, a really young thirteen year old girl and she's lapping you, and you're this big ex rugby player. It's not about strength. It's about yes. it's, it's 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 not about overcoming that that resistance. It's about how little resistance you offer to that water, how much drag you can eliminate, and the suits in that category will lift your legs up. And, uh, and that will reduce most of your drag. So I think that's critical. People, let's say, coming to you for a wetsuit need to be able to describe to you where they are with their swimming and maybe they should have someone film them in a pool, um, get an idea, you know, if their hips are dragging in the water, then they do want a, a wetsuit with like a slightly thicker neoprene, like you said, over the hips and legs so that they lift up. That lift on, on a strong swimmer is almost too much because it can almost throw the legs out the waters that you, you're battling to kick, especially in salty water. Uh, quite right, yeah. Um, we do see um, many athletes that have gone online and uh, bought wetsuits that they could get on a, on a special yeah. and uh, they buy the completely wrong wetsuit and they, they end up with their feet in the air with no propulsion and swimming like a, <laughs> like a submarine, you know, going down, down into the water rather than flat on top of the water. Yeah because they've chosen the wrong type of wetsuit for their abilities. The other thing is you've really got to try that wetsuit on. I mean, I, oh, just, yeah. I don't know how you buy a wetsuit online. I have no idea how you buy it online. Um, I mean, we do three different measurements. Firstly, uh, we're the only company that does it. There's actually a fourth one um, uh, that we just size up by ourselves as, uh, on the side. But you've got to have the chest measurement right first. And it's not small, medium, or large. You've got to, there, there are small increments to work with. Uh, obviously, yes. your height, and that's not necessarily... Uh, your height from your head to your toes, but the length of your torso is very important. Yes. Uh, rather than the length of um, your whole body. Yes. And then, uh, then, then your body type. You know, uh, if you're like me, um, I'm shorter, like one seven eight. Uh, I have a really large chest. I should be in a size ten according to my chest size, but because of my height, I, uh, the a size ten suit will be too long for me. Yes. So I need to take a size eight, which is super flexible. Fortunately, I'm, I'm very I'm very lucky that I'm a really good swimmer, so um, I can get a really thin and flexible suit. Yes, uh, yeah, you've got a strong swim background. Sure, yeah, 40, yeah. 40 years of swimming, sure, <laughs> and that that works works out for me. Um, for someone built like me, um, it would be a little bit more difficult uh, with with less swimming ability or less swimming time. You know, they they would battle a little bit to just buy a small or a medium or a large. Yeah, and and we would have to work with them a little little closer. Because you can end up sort of penny-wise, pound-foolish. You end yeah. up buying a cheap wetsuit and suddenly you're in the water. You, you just can't move your shoulders. Yes. can't breathe properly in the thing. Then that ends up in the cupboard. Then you're buying your second wetsuit. And, and so just do it properly the first time. Yeah. Um, uh, we actually see the opposite way around. That people think that the more money you spend on the wetsuit, the better the suit is. And they're buying these top-end suits, um, really good brands, really super suits for proper swimmers. Okay. But... 
they're not it's not helping them at all because it's not giving them uh, what they what they need as as beginner swimmers okay you know throwing money at the problem is not really the issue you need to determine the right type of suit for you and then the price point yes yeah so more expensive with a wetsuit i think that that's interesting because it kind of goes contra to what you'd think more expensive might actually slow you down unless you are a super speedy triathlete it's your it's your top swimmers that go into the more uh, pricey wetsuits in a sense it's your slightly weaker swimmers that will do better in a slightly cheaper suit slightly thicker neoprene yes um also, I think one of the things, I know that we had you over a while ago at, at a kind of like a wetsuit uh, instruction thing, is that it is complex getting the wetsuit on. And so it is a good idea just to, to sit down with someone like you, work out how to get the legs on, um, how to make sure that your fingernails don't cut into the suit. I mean, those suits are, are, are delicate pieces of equipment. Um, some brands are very delicate, yes. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. The, the fitting of the suit is very important. For us, we refuse to let anybody take a suit without them uh, actually standing in the store, and we teach them how to put it on. Yes. Um, again, it's got to do with that length from the shoulder to the crotch. Yeah. And if you don't get the the bottom of the suit up, that means the suit is pulling your shoulders down and you start to swim against your suit. Yes. Um, and that's where guys get those really sore shoulders and the ladies feel very constricted in their chest and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and we, as a company, uh, almost all of us being triathletes, we want people to have the best experience uh, while they're doing their, their sport, whether it be the, the, the swim, the bike or the run. We take care of the swim part and... The more fun they have, the more times they're going to come back. Exactly. That's, that's, that's our business model. Yeah. It's not a once-off sale and we take your money and cheers, China. Yeah. Uh, we don't see you again. The first suit I ever bought, and it wasn't from you guys, was for me just too tight. I had no shoulder movement. And, and, and I never, ever feel panicky in the water. I've got a long swimming background. But I tell you what, with that suit just was a battle to breathe the, the 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 most tired i got was from the arm extension and that was just fighting the suit and you don't want to get into that um i've 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 got one of the orca wetsuits now and i'll tell you what just the shoulder movement it just i don't even know that i've got a wetsuit on and so that's where you want to want to get to goggles um we had richard right here i know you, oh, you're yeah, good richard, friends yeah. with richard yeah. and richard reckons he's never ever used an anti-mist thing because he never touches the inside of his goggle i've never got that right so i'm a baby shampoo fan yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just some tips on 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 goggles let's go goggle fitting first um, okay. what do you look for when you buy a pair of goggles the best pair of goggles is the one that fits the most comfortable, whether mm. it be our brand or someone else's. So mm. we don't force anybody into our brand. Um, if they've got something that's working for them, we tell them to buy three pairs. Um, yeah. uh, wherever they're buying them from, wherever they're buying them from, it doesn't matter. Yes. Uh, because the last thing you want to do is, is is be in the swim and then have to stop and adjust and do this and do that. And I think I, in fact, lost a swim by like half a body length because I had to stop and change um, or, or uh, empty a pair of goggles while I was swimming. Is that so? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was marginal. Look, it was, he was a former Olympic swimmer, so I don't feel too bad losing to him. But uh, it, that half a second that I took That's to still... adjust my goggles is, 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 is the time he, he put into me in that, in that section. So, oh, oh well. <laughs> He's a good oak though, so it's not a problem. <laughs> a couple of years later, we're good friends. Okay. <laughs> um, so comfort first, um, 
we get a lot of people coming in saying they want open water goggles and I ask them to explain what 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 is it that they're looking for okay. there's there's you know if your goggle I've I've swum in like the Swedish goggles which fit inside the orbit uh, orbitals yes. um with no problems because I come from a swimming background yes. and I've swum 1500s 3000 5000 meters of them as long as you can get the fit to be comfortable they work yes and and now I swim in the Orca 180 uh, kilo 180s super comfortable they don't have to be pulled up tight they don't leave a red ring under your eye and and around it you can go to a sales meeting afterwards and not Without look like looking. a raccoon <laughs> 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 and um it's, it's it's comfort first and then and and then everything else yes um i think if you're looking for goggles to use both in the swimming pool and uh, and outside then you need to look at different lens colors yeah. Or maybe two sets of go- uh, two sets of goggles in different with different lenses, like a clear lens or a light lens and a dark lens for outside. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, the key thing is, if you have to pull the goggles tight, they're the wrong goggles for you. Yeah. Um, so we also take people through the whole fitting process and how to do that. So also, the other th- first get 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 a, a clear goggle for your sort of gym workouts, a little bit of a tinted goggle for open water, just so that you don't stare into the sun. And, and get a bit blinded. And then the strap position is something we see people. Um, if you've had your, if you have, if you have your face exactly horizontal, the strap tends to be exactly horizontal, which means the goggles are pulling into the lower part of the eye, which means the upper part is loose. Yes. And that's where they get the leaking, and that's why people start to pull their goggles up. Yes. Most goggles have got a split strap at the back, um, so if you pull the goggle up and you split one, um, as we say in Afrikaans above the bola and one below the bola. So okay. across the crown of your head, you have one strap across the top and yep. one lower down. That'll even the tension out, which means the tension on the goggle itself will be even and you don't have to put it up as tight for okay. it to seal. That's really useful, yeah. And, and, then, and baby shampoo, I mean, I've, I've been using that for years, just a little drop, clean it out in the water, um, and you generally are, are kind of um, fog-free in the certainly, goggle. Certainly. Yeah. The, uh, the, the problem comes with two, the, the two scenarios. So the one is the temperature differential. So if you jump in the cradle right now, put your goggle on, and then you jump in the cradle, mm. uh, warm air on the inside, cold on the outside, and you get the condensation on the inside of yes. the goggles. And yes. that's, that's normal. So you need to quickly rinse the goggles before you jump in just to even out the temperature. Okay. And you won't have that. Got it. Yeah. The gyms is another problem. Um, hair products i know you don't have an issue with that uh body lotions and that stuff so people dive into the pool all that stuff washes out and then you start um, people rinse their goggles in the pool and that um oily substances and stuff like that that is what sticks on the inside of the lens and and why your vision starts to uh, decrease okay with with and that's definitely where the um baby shampoo it's a surfactant it breaks down the oily stuff, and, and that's why it keeps it clear. It works really well for, for that scenario. All right. Let's get out of the water. Uh, obviously, there are things that are like hand paddles, pull boys sure. um, that you want to use with training just to get arms nice and strong, teach your hips how to float a little bit better. And, and I think people need to work through that with, with, with their swim coach, uh, try and get all of that worked out. Definitely. Hand paddles, I think my only advice would be just don't get too big a hand paddle. I don't know if you'd agree with me if you're a weaker swimmer because you don't want to go and pull a rotator cuff injury. Um, so rather start with a hand paddle. Would you, would you reckon almost the size of your hand and then get a bit longer or a bit bigger? Yes. Um, swimming is very form dependent. So for, for me mm. in my coaching um, and what I try and advise 
many uh, of the other coaches is not to put the beginners in paddles. Get their form right first. Yes. And the reason is uh, beginner swimmers are flat in the water and uh, with a paddle on, they, they're, they're hyperextending at the back um, and that's where they pick up their problems. First yeah. get them to rotate, uh, get their rotation right before you start adding paddles in. And then, yes, start with the smaller paddle um, and as they progress and, and maybe if, um, a rule of thumb is if they drop under 155, then you can put them into a, big, a bigger paddle. And if they drop under 125 per 100 meters over 1,000, then they can put them into the bigger of the, of the two sizes. Okay. Um, because then you know that their rotation is right because their drag is lower and, and then strength becomes more of a, a deciding factor. So it's first the form, then the fitness, and then the strength as, as a last resort. Yes. And then finger paddles are, I feel, for only the advanced athletes. Nobody uh, is going to, if their hand position is wrong and the elbow, they're pulling with the elbow first in their hand, the finger paddles makes no difference. Yes. If you have your rotation right, your reach, your catch really perfect or you think it's perfect and you want to just master those last few percentages um, out of each stroke, then I think the finger paddle is a, is is something to be used. Okay, because it just kind of increases the feel of, of, of the hand in the water. Okay. Just to get the pitch of your hand right. Um, that's what the yes. finger paddle's for. It's not for resistance or anything yes, like it. Yes, got it. All right, so we out the water. Um, obviously, there's a lot. Uh, Richard Wright helped us with a couple of things with getting the wetsuit off and getting into transition. But let's just discuss the equipment, the bike. Um, bikes are not cheap. Rand Dollar is not too good at the moment. It is possible to start your triathlon journey on a road bike. Absolutely. Um, actually, speaking to one of the, um, the importers yesterday, he's sold out of bikes under 40 grand. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of bicycles in that category from between 15 and, and 40 yes. road bikes that are really, really nice bikes. Many of them come with disc brakes now. Um, so really good stuff that you can get. Um, Rand Dollar. I, what is it, July now? Uh, they'll be dumping stock in August because all the new stuff starts to come in September. So if you're getting, if you're thinking about it, there's 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 a good chance to get a good deal right there now. There's going to be some bargains, yeah. I've, I've seen some bargains coming up on social media as well. So just be on the lookout. Also, I think a road bike is safer to buy a used road bike than a used mountain bike. It's almost, I've always said to people, buying a used road car is going to be safer than buying a used bucky because the bucky could have been used by a builder. Yes. So getting a mountain bike that's done two Epsicape Epics, that mountain bike is tired, whereas oh, yeah. a road bike is not going to get as tired as quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the strains and uh, the wear and tear is far less, yes. Yeah. And a road bike's good. I mean, it also gives you that diversity that you can enter road bike races. Yes. And many people like to enter races to train rather than do the training by themselves. Yes. Um, and, yeah, to learn the skills of riding a bike, uh, it's definitely easier on a road bike. Pop, pop on some clip-on tri-bars. You can always come to me. I can help set the bike up. Um, at the same time, the road bike is never going to be... The, so it's a good starting point. It's not the perfect tool for the job. Tri bike is 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 a more aggressive bike. That seat tube is 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 slanted more toward the front of the bike. It changes the cyclist's position. It leaves your legs more fresh for the run. Time trial bikes is kind of where a lot of the price does come in. Yeah, um, yeah. You'd be very hard pressed to find something under 
45, 50,000 rand uh, yes. and anything up to, I think that new felt was 280,000 rand. Cheap at the price, eh? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I hope it gives you a couple of minutes <laughs> for I, that I price. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's a lot of money to, to, to spend. It's interesting. I've, I've noticed uh, triathletes that, you know, some of the guys, they've just got it in the legs and, and they are not that expensive machines and the other guys that pitch up with these Lamborghini versions and and they just know we're in the field so it does come down to the legs but obviously the bike can give you a bit of added benefit definitely yeah Yeah. definitely i mean if it flattens your your body position brings your arms in lowers you uh, into the wind reduces your resistance definitely it helps yeah yeah um, you guys bring out Orbea. Um, we do Orbea, yeah. It's a Spanish bike or Basque bike. Um, okay. We do a road bike, which you can do the clip on, and we do a really nice um, time trial bike, the Ordu. Yes. Um, and uh, that can be customized in different colors, like a couple of thousand different colors. So, and there's there's a few models. So, yes. price points from about I think fifty five up to one hundred and twenty, depending on what you want to spec it with. Yes, and then you can have your name and your personal colors done on it as well. On that, yeah. Trek bringing out some nice bikes. They do some Uh, beautiful bikes. Yeah, really beautiful bikes. I find it very difficult to look away when there's a trek in the vicinity. Yeah, there's some beautiful. (laughs) I mean, the Tantra bike. There's nothing quite looking uh, as good looking as a TT bike. I mean, they're just they're beautiful things to look at. Uh, critically important for anyone listening to this, your bike setup is going to be very, very important. And I've, I've noticed with a number of triathletes that have been through here, um, some of the bike setup guys go for very aggressive bike setups. And um, I've always said to people, listen, comfort is number one. Uh, it's pointless getting your back into a spasm at the 100k mark and you've still got 80k's left of a full Ironman. Um, you can be on a 200,000 rand bike and at that point you're going to be you're going to be in agony and it's just not worth uh, going for that yeah I mean it's 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 great if you can ride 40 k's really fast but then you've got 140 to sit up into the wind (laughs) (laughs) as your back is in spasm yeah Yeah. Um, there are a lot of uh, bike fitters and they tend to fit you for the shorter distances because um that's what the pros can handle but the pros are also also riding 15 to 20 hours a week yes and they've worked themselves up to that position they haven't just gone from nowhere into that position they've got it's strong cores strong necks they've got they stretch out their hamstrings um they've got their hip flexors sorted out so so there's a lot so so don't download a picture of your favorite pro triathlete and then go i want to look like this because you might not be able to get that right physically yeah definitely uh, not it take a lot of time take a lot of time to get there yeah yeah, yeah. big thing big change in saddles um i think the big thing with a triathlon bike is your pelvis is rotated forwards and um, for both men and women there can be a lot of pressure on some sensitive parts uh, there's been more and more sort of like the, almost like the split saddle I think uh, Cobmake, um, the other brand. And it's ISM is the other brand. ISM is so, the other brand. So yeah. Cobb actually started it um, with a split nose saddle because he's a really good bike fitter. Mm. He took his ideas to ISM, who then latched onto that and, and, and based their whole brand on a split nose saddle. Yes. He then went away for four years, did a couple of thousand more bike fits, came back to them and said, hey, I've discovered a couple of other things and I'd like you to integrate them. And they told him, mm, we're not really interested. So he started his own brand. Yes. Uh, his company has gone 
bust a couple of times and he's taken on a new Chinese partner and who knows what's going on in the background there. <laughs> but uh, he has some really innovative changes to the split nose saddle. One, one of the key ones is to reduce the, the width of the nose of the saddle and the other one is yes. to tie the, tie the width of the nose of the saddle uh, together so that the ISMs you'll see are split and they can actually um, move independently. Mm. And that's really nice for comfort. But if you favor one leg and over time you get stronger in that one leg, you'll see that the one nose is lower than the other. And yes. that's not a problem on the bike. It's when you get to the run that it becomes a problem because then your whole pelvis is twisted and all of that. And then, yes. you, then you're trying to run a marathon or all your training off um, a compromised so, position. Yes. And I think that's where you come in and treating people's injuries and stuff yeah. and uh, fixing those issues. Yeah. That doesn't need to be like that. Uh, so, so get the saddle right. It's worth experimenting with it. Yeah. They are complex. Like you say, sometimes the nose is a little bit too wide and so you get chafing on the inner thighs. Especially the, 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 the narrower-hipped ladies. They have a lot of bruising and chafing. Yeah. And that's pure misery when that oh, goes wrong. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, so so get the saddle right. Um, bear in mind when you do choose a saddle that any long term numbness is not normal. Um, yes. It's it's you know we're all going to get sore on a saddle after after five four hours or five hours. That's normal. But if sort of an hour later you're sitting there with numbness, you've you've got a saddle problem, and you need to look at that very very carefully. All right. Deep dish, deep dish rims. Um, I think there's been so much that's happened. Carbon fiber, and they've got lighter and stuff like that. Your thoughts on that? Um, how deep a dish do you go? What happens when you get crosswinds? Uh, just some ideas on that. Um, I think, in terms of equipment purchasing, it's one of the later pieces that you buy. Um, it's not something you buy in the beginning. Uh, you don't buy your speed up front. If your if your saddle position is wrong, if your body position is wrong, then uh, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter too much what wheels you're riding. Yes. You're just, you're just going to be slow. Yes. Um, so, as an initial purchase, I don't think it's a great idea. If you have a couple of years in you and uh, you've refined all of those things, then wheels definitely become a good thing. Yes. Uh, horses for courses, shallower. Uh, sections for hillier courses and obviously wind uh, shallower on the front than on the rear because of crosswinds yes. and handling of the bike and especially um, if you're doing PE and there's sure. a chance of, of that yeah so you really want to go a little bit narrower especially in the front in the front yeah because that's going to be scary and if you're also lighter I, I remember that 2012 um, Ironman where the wind came up it was about 80 k's an hour um, really I think I was passing a, a very small lady she must have been like 5 foot 4 or something like that she had a, uh, a trek surprisingly uh, okay. beautiful bike deep sections we turned the corner to go down to Sardinia or something uh, or, um, and it was a crosswind and she we, we, we had to ride on the right hand side of the road for, for that uh, and she got blown from the right hand side of the road off to the left and into the bushes <sighs> just as we turned uh, I didn't get blown across because I'm, I'm 80 85 kilos but yeah. she ended up in the bushes the poor thing is that so with yeah. because of the, the the section of her bike with the sections of the wheels as well yeah so that was quite crazy to see so I, if you're I, if you're smaller you don't worry too much about that but yeah so go for for slightly maybe 30 mils 35 mils yes, on the front or something yes. like that. yeah at the rear you can get away with anything from 55 to i would go up to 80 if you're going to do with the two sections if you're going to go bigger than 80 you may as well go for a disc wheel yeah. Uh, and that's that's for someone who has really good bike control and has a lot of strength and the weight to keep the bike down um, should the 
should the wind pick up. Should the wind pick up, yeah. yes. So you've got to get that right. You've really got to look at your cycling experience, your weight, and, 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 and the course that you're going to be on. We were coming back for one day just in the cradle on a training ride back on rolling hills, and um, the wind was kind of coming up that, uh, that sort of um, hill. Uh, it's more than a hill. And, uh, you know, I looked up at one stage, and, and every cyclist was riding at, at, at sort of 70 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> just, and, and we were going in a straight line. It was just that was the wind. And, and that does get scary. Um, yeah. And it happens from time to time. You know, yeah. uh, not every race is like that. Not every training ride is like that. And PEs had that 2012 and uh, that was the worst and and the rest of the time it's, it's two years it's ago it was also strong there's yeah. a strong wind um it can be strong it can be, yeah yeah and then maybe um like they do in hawaii they they ban disc wheels you know and you're only allowed to use deep sections or something on, on certain courses yes yes is, um, maybe a, a good safety it's a good safety all right so that's something really to think about before you you splash out because they're also not cheap no um they're also not cheap, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's have a look at hydration on the bike. Um, Richard was, when Richard Wright was here, he was saying that he literally carries all his food on the bike. But then Richard is just like the next level. He's a machine. Uh, he's a machine. There's some of us um, lesser mortals that <laughs> kind of have to stop and get some water and, and, and things like that. And, 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 you know, especially with a full Ironman, uh, a stop after 90Ks and, and kind of replenish things. Um, three different areas to carry hydration, the down tube uh, behind your saddle and then in between the tri-bars. Are you, have you got any thoughts on, on, on where to head with that? I, um, the least aerodynamic one is the, on the down tube. So yes. like on a road bike, you've got two positions to put your water bottles and that's that. The best aero position is behind your saddle uh, because there's a void Yes. And, and, and the void is rather large if you're going rather fast. Um, and you could put two bottles behind that. Um, you do have to replenish those bottles. So somewhere along the, along the way, you need to pick up more bottles or, yes. um, at the water points. Um, and then the BTA is the between the arms um, type, um, which can be perfectly uh, between the arms or a drop down like Profile does. Um, the, the cheapest option, which is refillable. Um, on yes. the go, so and that can, almost looks like a bit of a wing. Mm, you can yeah. do it like a wing, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, hydro blade, I think they call them. Um, but the, the thing is, you can grab a bottle from along the side um, uh, and, and drop your bottle within the designated area, so that you don't get a time penalty. Yes. Uh, refill your bottle and, and carry on in your aero position. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's a good option uh, in the races because they do have refill uh, stations. Yeah. Uh, for the training, which is more where you have the issues, there's no, there's no points, and you need to carry a lot of bottles. So then, maybe then you need to have two behind the uh, the saddle and one on the frame, and 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 you know you need to carry everything with you. Yes, because yes. it might be ninety k's before you get to the next pot stall or yeah. or garage or something like that. I think and, the critical thing there as well is practice what you're going to be racing on. So you you don't want like one week before in sheer panic to suddenly get a between the arms hydration system, and get to Ironman and work out that your triathlon and work out that you just don't know how to use the thing. I had somebody here who was sucking water from a straw and they went over a bump, 
and the straw took part of the roof of the mouth away, you know what I mean? So you've really you've got to kind of know what you're doing because it also gets dangerous. I mean, trying to fiddle to try and find a bottle or you don't house the bottle properly in, in the bottle holder and you drop it, suddenly you're putting the person behind you at risk. Yes. So, so get that right, uh, um, especially if you're a beginner cyclist. You know, I've, I've always said to people, I mean, whatever you do, don't drink on a downhill unless you're really, really strong on the bike. Wait for a little bit of an uphill. You're going a little bit slower. You're sitting more upright. You can get that bottle. You can look down for a moment, make sure it's housed properly. Aero helmets, they've kind of changed. Just Sorry. to come back to that, cool. um, um, something I learned actually from, um, from Reynard Tissink uh, with his training group is uh, he, has a, he has a couple of rules, but one that I really like is nothing new in the last 10 weeks before your race. Wow. So everything, your bike set up, you must have your hydration, uh, you must have your running shoes, all the equipment that you're going to race in, Mm. no changes after 10 weeks before the race. And uh, and your long rides on the weekends are done in full race kit. So um, that's, that's a really good... I think are a good piece of advice. You know, Bruce, I was, I was reading something with Bruce Fordyce, just with comrades as well. I mean, he was basically saying from weeks in advance, you start running in the running shoes that you're going to run in, in the shorts, in the vest, because most of us don't run in a vest. Um, on your vest, even put your safety pins where you would hold your race number because to sit there at comrades and 60Ks in, those little things are now beginning to chafe. Uh, or the vest is too small, so so ten weeks is is interesting. I've, I, that that is brilliant. Get that right. I've literally had people here for bike setups one week before Ironman, and people it happens. People buy wetsuits the day before Ironman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every year. Yep. Yeah, and it's just someone panicking, and they they're kind of going, oh, I'm, "I'm not comfortable," or "I've got ITB," and and suddenly they're going, Gee, "Could it actually be from the bike setup?" And the answer is yes. I mean, you you know, okay. Um, helmets, we, we've kind of come a long way. There's, there's obviously a standard helmet, and, and you know, if you're a little bit budget tight, just keep your standard helmet. And then we've got the aero helmets. The aero helmets have changed as well from those long, I think they were called sperm helmets, yes. for want of a better word, um, that were these long things that kind of went like quarter way down your back. And, and now these things look like they. They belong on, on, on one of Elon Musk's uh, space rockets. Um, would, would, you, would you agree that helmet is a good idea? Or is it well, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a law. You have to wear yeah, one. No, no, so the yeah. helmet's a good idea, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's so, yeah, Sorry. a normal road helmet is really nicely ventilated. Uh, it's, it yeah. keeps you cool. It protects you, um, yeah. which is nice. You get, uh, you get that full aero helmet, um, which is very necessary if you can hold your position. So if you can stay in your time trial position really tightly yes. and have that helmet run perfectly along your back or uh, perfectly in, into the uh, between your shoulder blades, then it's definitely worth having that. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of guys riding six and seven hours or eight hours at Ironman, and that helmet with the extension on the back is actually just to protect them from sunstroke. It doesn't yes. give them much aero advantage in those spaces that they're riding. Okay, um, yeah. And then you get something in between, which are these like road aero helmets. So it's like a, the road kind of shape, but they've closed off some of the vents. Yes. Uh, and that's a good compromise for the in between. Uh, yeah. And that might be a better helmet to look at than one of these full, long, uh, cover your ears, have a, a visor in the front. Uh, you know, if you're, not, if you're not doing 40, 
you know, let's call it 38 to 50 k's an hour, you're not getting the aerodynamic advantage of, of that helmet. Yes, yes. Uh, the best thing that's happened to me was to get a helmet with, with an inbuilt visor. Um, you know, just versus a, a helmet and then a pair of sunglasses with the air going through. Uh, that for me has just been a, a little bit of a game changer. I've really enjoyed that 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 environment. All right. So um, last thing on the bike, um, uh, tabbies or clinches. Any thoughts on that? Um, I haven't used tubbies since the the mid nineties, and that when the first performance wheels came out, Zip launched their. Um, 404s mm. um that was a tubby room um everything else uh, with the mavic i had a mavic 3g a three spoke on the back and they were only available in tubbies um yeah and those look cool huh? hey. <laughs> <laughs> almost two kilograms for a back wheel but phew, used to fly with that thing it was amazing um and then yeah uh, uh, campag brought out uh, deep section aluminium reel, wheels that were high pressure clinches and um, and then the tide of uh, manufacturers started developing better and better uh, clincher tires. Mm. I used to work a lot with the Schwalbe guys, and um, they are really really good at um, um, their standards of of their wheel sizes, uh, their, their tire sizes to fit wheels that are um, that conform to that European Rim and Tire Regulatory Authority. And um, it's far lighter. It's it's. Uh, for user efficient, you know, for someone to replace a tube, then to carry a tubby. Um, the tubbies are really nice if you're on a really good surface, um, like a track, which is smooth, and you can pump them up to 11 bar and there's no bumps and things like that. Yeah. Sure, no yeah. problem. I think that's great. This, however, is South Africa. Our roads are chip and spray. Um, you don't want to be riding anything more than probably 8 bar. Um, just to have some compliance, and and if you can have a, a, a 25C kind of a tire, yes, um, and um, that's that's more comfortable than a 23 at, at 10 bar. And yes, that 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 bouncing around on the road is um, it does fatigue you. So yeah, and it gets a bit disconcerting as well. It's yeah. scary, and your fillings are coming loose. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> okay. everything yeah. rattles on your bike, and you have to tighten stuff up after your long rides and things. Yeah, it's. it's I'd rather go with a wider tire in a in a high performance clincher in probably a 25C um, at a minimum. Yes. Okay. Got it. Um, cycling shoes. My little piece of advice: make sure that they're wide enough. Um, I've seen a lot of cyclists, especially with there's a condition known as Morton's neuroma, uh, which is a nerve that gets inflamed between toes three and four. And uh, suddenly you've got cyclists that 40 k's in, they can't feel their feet anymore, they're completely numb. I've had people in here saying, my foot runs out of blood at about the 40k mark, which is not true, that's a nerve. And, you know, there are ways of getting rid of that. And, and one of the big things is, you know, there, there's some really cool cycling shoes out there, but if that shoe is too narrow over your forefoot, it doesn't matter how aerodynamic it is. You're going to be sitting there for an entire race worrying about your feet more than about your pace and your efficiency and, 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 and things like that. All right, let's kind of climb off the bike and um, let's just stop for a moment at, at the tri-suit. Um, the debate between a two-piece and a one-piece, have you got any, any thoughts on that? Sure. Uh, let's start with the one piece. So there's there's two variations on the one piece, and that's a sleeved, short sleeved one, yes. and, and a no sleeved one. Yes. For us again, it um, it comes down to the fit of the garment. 
and you want the garment to do something for you. For the guys, you know, it's um, it's got to be comfortable, but it's also got to give support. Mm. Uh, so we, with our measurements and stuff, we 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 look at the body type, um, the shape. Um, we get um, a lot of new triathletes coming in uh, who have come from uh, power sports and things like that. So they have really, or gym um, or CrossFit, and they yeah. really well developed upper bodies um, and uh, really undeveloped lower bodies. Yes. Uh, which is kind of fun to, to to try and fit someone to that. Yes. And then a sleeveless suit would probably be a better option. Um, and so that's, that's because for the big arms, the the bigger yeah. chest, the shoulders that are too big for now, uh, and the arms that. Uh, are not functional in triathlon. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. no point that you need your biceps that big. Yeah, um, and so we fit rather for the lower body um, first, and then for the upper body. So that's the benefit of the two piece. No, no, Is that's that's the benefit of um, the sleeveless okay. one piece. Got it. If the body, uh, we always try and put people into the one piece because there's less fuss. Okay. Okay. If the discrepancy uh, between the upper body and the lower body is huge, uh, then we can look at a two piece piece mm. option uh, mm. and then it might be like a medium pair of pants and an extra large uh, tank top or something like that yes. uh, to fit those kind of guys uh, the opposite works for the ladies sometimes they have um, more developed lower bodies than upper bodies and we might need to go with a, a bigger pair of pants uh, and, a, and a smaller upper body and if we do that in a one piece that'll mean the suit is too long and and then they will lose the support of the of the garment as well okay so it's it's first we we try and put every see if we can put someone into the upper uh, into a one piece. If they're quite balanced, it'll be a sleeveless a sleeved one. If they're a little un- imbalanced, uh, being the upper body bigger, uh, put them in a sleeveless. Mm. And if there's a big discrepancy, either way, uh, we'll go with the two piece. Now for me, I've always preferred the two piece because it's so much easier to hit the loo. Um, yeah, so I suppose you've just got to really work out what's going to work work best for you. Um, and then you've also got to, like you said, nothing new on race day. You really want to see if that chamois is, is, is comfortable yeah. because it's going to be a, a thin chamois. Um, and you want, to get, um, you want to get your behind used to that chamois. It's pointless doing all your training in, in a pants. thick pair of cycling pants yeah. that cost you 3,000 rand. And then on race day, you, you've almost got no chamois then and, and, and you're suffering. So you've got, to, you've got to get that body to adapt. I come from uh, the back in the days where we used a uh, we used a, a speedo and a and a tank top like a cutoff top. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It, it looked really good. Um, <laughs> neon colours and all the rest. Uh, I'd never wore until three years ago a one piece suit. Um, yeah. Um, and now I do. I wear a, a, a full piece, a full one piece with the longer sleeves. Mm. And stopping for the toilet is still, even though it's, I'm long past my pro days, stopping for the toilet is not an option. You just take a leak while you're running. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to stop. Okay. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's going to see it. Anyway. Nobody sees it anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, just spray yourself down. Yeah. That might not be the best advice for everyone. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Some guys are going to go, you, and yeah. other guys are going to go, well, it, what, is, what, what has to be, what has to be. I okay. remember a story, I think, uh, Rain, no, Conrad Stoltz coming down into Nice or something like that, and the, the guy in front of him, he watched, <laughs> lifted both of his bottles up onto the handlebars on the downhill, took his leak, 
uh, and then replaced his water bottles. And uh, Connor was like, whoa, man, <laughs> got to get out of this guy's slipstream. <laughs> yeah. So Chrissy Wellington done. in her book writes yes. that she used to do that if she felt someone was drafting her. Oh. Just to make a little Perfect. Pee. Yeah, and, yeah, that'll um, work. And, and, and they're no longer drafted. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now that we've put everyone off their breakfast. <laughs> um, okay. Watches. I, I think, the, the, you know, I mean, the technology has come so far. What, what, is, what are the big things that you'd look at in, in, in a watch? Um, for me, um, I've, I've been fortunate uh, to be with Polar since 1992. I was the first employee in, uh, in South Africa. So I've come a long way with heart rate and, and, and extra functions rather than just in the old days, the, the guys used to run distance and time. And, uh, yeah, and that was, that was, those yeah. were the measures we used to have. Yeah. Um, so coming through the whole heart rate and uh, heart rate um, to GPS to do all the extra features and stuff like that. Um, I think the most important thing is what does the watch tell you about you? Um, what it tells you about your bike, what it tells you about anything else is, is, is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, those are just extra data points that you can yes. use to overlap with 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 um, with your your body's reaction to your training and stuff like that. Yes. So I I'm not very positive about the gamification of training. Uh, Strava apps and KOMs and uh, these VR races where everybody's racing each other and linking at it and you're trying to beat your mate every every single week. I'm not I'm not totally I, I'm not in favour of yeah. that. Um, for me, it's still it's all about heart rate and how my body's reacting to the to the training, and um, with a bit of savvy and a bit of knowledge uh, and a bit of experience, you know when to cut your training uh, tr- program short, yeah, or or if you can extend it, yes, or maybe you just got to go home and this is not the day for you and go and lie on the couch for for the rest of the day. I really like that answer, and it, it it's kind of just you've opened up a, a thought for me that I've never had before because. I think what a lot of us do when, when you're about to buy a new watch is you, you, you get a list of what all the watches do. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this watch measures that you're on your left foot for 0.001 seconds longer than on your right foot. If that info is valid, then you want to get that watch. But if you're just going to look at that info going, I actually don't know what this means, you're wasting money. And so look at what you need. And, and for me, what I need on a watch is I need to find out what my heart rate is, I need to be able to see my speed and my average speed just so that I get an idea of where I'm heading. And then I want to make sure that I've got enough battery life. And if the watch meets those requirements, that's all that I need. I, I don't need that much information about how much I've slept and how many breaths I've taken while I've been sleeping and stuff like that. I do look at heart rate variability from my watch in the morning. And, and, but, but, so it's almost instead of looking at the lists of the 40 features of each watch and getting completely confused, uh, rather write down what you need and then find the watch that meets that, that requirement. Yeah. Yeah. And, sure. and you'll find that sometimes the watch, you don't need to get the 15,000 Rand watch. The 5,000 Rand watch will give you all of that. And the 15,000 Rand watch might just have you completely bamboozled with thousands of points of information. Yes, and yeah, and then the conversations between the people who have got no idea what the metrics mean uh, at at the coffee shop after each ride. You think, exactly. oh man, how brilliant is <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <Yeah. laughs> Do you even know what you're talking about, Rue? <laughs> we, we, did, we did Transbaviance once, the one year, and, and the guy that I'd been cycling with the next morning, he was, you know, plugging in his. 
big bike computer into his Apple and he, he had the screen and I've never seen it. It just had facts and figures all over the place. And I, I looked at him. I mean, we were totally exhausted. And I said, dude, what is this telling you? And he looks at this thing and he goes, well, the race was 230 Ks and I've got this little cat eye. Yeah. And I'm going, yep, that's about right. <laughs> and he's going, well, you know, the climb was this much and the descent was that much. And my little cat eye didn't tell me that, but I had the Transbavians pamphlet there. And it tells you how much you climb. And I went, yep, that's about right. And he, he said, and it took us so long. And I, I flicked through my little cat and I went, yep, that's what mine's told me. And then he goes, our, our top speed on the one downhill was 78 k's an hour. And I went, yep, uh, that's it as well. And then I kind of looked at him and I said, what else are you picking up from your info? And he went, yeah, it's, it's, it's mainly that, you know. And I looked at this and I'm going, I, uh, in those days, the cat was about 280 bucks. Yeah. And, and, and you know, this guy had spent thousands and just looked at the stuff and just didn't know what to do with the info so it really depends on where you're at uh, more is sometimes not not better yeah i think if you're working with a coach who can interpret those things correctly uh, and you use like an app like training peaks and you upload yeah. and stuff like that and they do the analysis for you and they tell you this that or the other then it's worthwhile having that kind of stuff yeah um, otherwise but, but don't full, get uh, yeah. Paralysis of analysis. Yeah, just yeah. enjoy the swimming and the biking and the running first, and yeah. then you know develop yourself as an athlete. Get your weaknesses up to uh, uh, focus on those things, and then maybe when you think about winning races, look at all this other data. Yes, because yes. those are the, the extra little bits that take you those to those finer points. Take a minute off. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the running shoe side, it's obviously something that I've specialised in got to get your running shoes fitted properly there's a big difference between a neutral shoe and an antipronator there's a big difference between an unstable neutral shoe and a more stable neutral shoe uh, the fitting is 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 critical um, you want to have enough space in the shoe you want the shoe wide enough again because of things like morton's neuromas so my kind of advice is, as as we look at that is is get the shoe properly fitted um, and you need a specialist to do that uh, don't don't go by brand. Whatever you do, going this you know brand A is the cool brand, and I saw that one of the top runners in the world runs in this shoe, therefore it's going to work for me. Um, it 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 just doesn't doesn't work like that. Yeah, I think you've you, again you've you've mentioned the width of the of the shoe, and I, um, for us in South Africa, uh, you know we often barefoot. Grew up some of us the older uh, generation. Didn't go to school wearing shoes until high school. So your feet are broader yeah. uh, than Europeans. And the European cuts and European sizing and stuff like that. I hate buying European cycling kit. It's always bad for the ego. It's, you know, it's a double XL top. And like, wow, it's never it's, been a double It's narrow. It's narrow. Yeah, 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 they smell yeah. up evil. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same with the shoes. You've got you've to get the right size. And, and as South Africans, I think we... We tend to have uh, broader feet than 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 the definitely the, the Europeans. Yes, yes. So. Cool, James. Thanks so much for coming in. Um, just reminder, you guys are out on on Ravonia Road. I always forget. I know where to find the building because I know what to look out for. But what's the side road? Uh, it's North Road. North Road. So okay. If you're going up Ravonia Road towards Santon, you get the the McDonald's. It's two robots on from there. Yes, and and on uh, the left hand side. And it's clearly marked on yep. the road. You'll, you'll you'll be able to see and and. Uh, yeah, and you guys, um, the service levels that, that you guys provide are just phenomenal. And um, I've always respected your knowledge. I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you very much. Thank you.